Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeff with Gyro Nation Metal. Morning Veil is a blackened death metal band from both Nebraska and Iowa. Its two members, Steven Sorensen and Blake Lamore, join me today to chat about the band, their approach to metal, and their debut release, a full-length album titled Communion, which was released last year in December of 2022. A quick shout-out to Adam Burke for doing the artwork for Communion, as well as many other bands, including, but not limited to, Alters, Atrebilis, Bellwitch, Hath, Signs of the Swarm, and my previous guests of Desiderium, First Fragment, Incandescence, and Volcandra. Blake and Steven, thank you for joining me today. No problem, man. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having me. I don't know much about you guys. Like, we were just chatting before the show here. You guys don't really post too much on social media, so tell me a little bit about your history. When did you start to get into heavier music? Uh, um, you go first, Steven. <laughs> so... For me, my kind of journey into heavier music was um, actually the very first, like, I would consider heavier band I listened to was uh, Demon Hunter. Um, and I remember my sister showed it to me. Uh, I had to have been in, I don't know, maybe fourth or fifth grade or something like that. And, uh, you know, it would have some some clean singing and some, some you know, screams, growls here and there and stuff. And I, and I enjoyed kind of the up-tempo, kind of faster heavier stuff um and i slowly just kind of got more in and more into like uh i guess metalcore uh was another you know kind of big starting point for me uh specifically with you know a band called august burns red um and i remember their uh their leveler album had just come out i think it was like 2011 or 2012 or something and that was that was really uh kind of my experience in like getting into heavier styles of music and from then on it was that was pretty much like almost all I listen to at this point. <laughs> and so you like the growls and the, and the, I guess, like death metal vocals right off the bat? It, you know, it was, when I, I'll be honest, uh, the song that I first listened to by them was, it's called Divisions. And it was the first song that I had ever heard that didn't have any clean singing in it. And I, I, I did not like it at all at first. Um, and I, so I, I listened to it maybe once or twice or something, didn't really care for it. And then like maybe a couple weeks passed and I, I just kept thinking about it. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should give it another try. So uh, I listened to it again. And um, I mean, at this point, I, I, I definitely prefer, you know, growls over clean singing anymore. Yeah, I think a lot of metalheads have the same kind of introduction as far as like the death metal growl school. It's like at first you don't really know what to think. And then after a while, you just can't get enough. <laughs> I love my, probably my favorite thing about uh, you know the death metal style vocals is that there's just so much variation between vocalists and you. Uh, the same could be said for clean singing as well, obviously. But you know the the, the different styles of vocals and and how different vocalists determine and uh, you know what variations or different techniques that they use. It's always just and how many other genres, you know, subgenres of metal have their own kind of like style of vocals. That's you know kind of. Uh, a staple of that particular subgenre, and that's that's probably my favorite part about that kind of vocals. Mm -hmm. And then Blake, what was your intro to so, music? So, as for me, I uh, I think I remember I was about four years old, and I was in the truck with my dad, and he had the "Steal This" album by System of a Down, and I heard the song I E A I A I O, and <laughs> I thought it was the funniest song ever. I just I remember like laughing hysterically, just as a little kid listening to that. Um, and I think that was my first exposure to like the really like heavy, heavily distorted guitars, like down tune, you know, System of a Down's kind of that mix of like new metal and folk metal. Um, but I guess it, it really didn't. I, I would say that that's where it started, where the love for metal started, but it didn't really kind of blossom until 
later on, probably about the time I was in middle school, um, where I the bands that I kind of knew of growing up, like you know Slipknot being from Iowa. If, if you live in Iowa and you don't like Slipknot, who are you? Um, <laughs> but uh, like Slipknot, Metallica, Avenged Sevenfold, System of a Down, those were all like kind of the really big ones uh, that started off for me. And and as I kind of got out of middle school, got into early high school, um, the metalcore bands really came through. Early metalcore, I should say, like a Bullet for My Valentine, um, uh, like early Trivium, Kill Switch Engage, All That Remains, stuff like that. Um, you know, like I just I grew up listening to those songs on the radio, songs like My Curse by Kill Switch or like Two Weeks by All That Remains. So that kind of early two thousands metalcore style really. Uh, uh kind of caught me at first and kind of like steven said uh the more i listened and the older i got the heavier it just started getting so by the time i was probably a junior or senior in high school was when i started getting into like death metal and and i was just like steven at first as well i wasn't really a fan of the of the harsh screams or anything i remember like listening to lamb of god and i was like wow these guys suck. Like I can't understand anything this guy's saying, but like Lamb of God's one of my favorite bands, like as the palaces burn ashes of the wake, those two albums are like 10 out of 10 perfection for me. So it's, it's all about time and, and your, your taste will change. And, and it still does to this day. When did you guys start getting into learning your instruments and what, and were you instantly kind of gravitating towards heavier music at that time? Or were you just trying to learn the fundamentals of like, say radio music? Um, I picked up guitar when I was 10 and it was all because of Guitar Hero. <laughs> I I heard Six by All That Remains on Guitar Hero 2 and I was like, man, I want to learn how to play guitar. So I picked it up when I was 10 and it, it did take a couple years uh, to really get into playing. But when I first started, I, I wanted to learn, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Metallica, Linkin Park, kind of start off somewhere easy. And then, uh, but Basically, ever since I started playing guitar, I, I just kept getting more and more into metal. And by the time I was in late junior high, I was learning met more Metallica, Avenged Sevenfold, Slayer songs. And those those were the ones that really pulled me into practicing more often and wanting to learn more. As for me, like, um, so I, I started on drums. Um, I, I think I've probably been, I think I started somewhere in like seventh or eighth grade. Um, and uh, I definitely did not start with metal. Uh, I was still kind of not really into like the whole like like heavier stuff, but you know, obviously I, I still liked some of the more casual, I guess, listening stuff like, you know, with cleans and stuff like that. But um, I, I actually started off with more of like a funk kind of rock um, drumming background. And um, and I remember, you know, I kept going back to that uh, that Demon Hunter uh, album that I that I first heard. Um, and uh, I just, I loved the drums and I loved the double pedal stuff. And uh, that really inspired me to start, you know, kind of uh, getting into more metal drumming. Uh, and I took lessons, drum lessons for probably, I want to say three or four years. Um, and, you know, none of it was metal at all. And I just kind of on the side while I was at home, I would, I would work on the stuff for my lessons, which was more funk and somewhat punk oriented. And I would kind of look up YouTube videos and stuff like that of, of metal techniques and how to play metal drums. Uh, so that's, that's really, really where I got started with, with metal drums and playing guitar came in uh, quite a bit later. Uh, I, I'd say I've mainly probably been playing guitar 
for seriously for maybe four or five years um and uh you know since i started guitar much after drums i was already into metal so i pretty much jumped straight into metal guitar when i started playing guitar was it difficult to adapt like the funk and punk style of drumming into the metal vein that you've gone now actually i i feel like because i do actually use uh, some of those influ those early like funk influences and kind of a, a jazzier almost influence in a lot of my drumming. I like to, you know, kind of I like to do more than just kind of your stereotypical just you know a skank beat or or a, a punk beat or a blast beat here and there. I like to really incorporate you know interesting you know ride cymbal uh, patterns and things like that and different you know effect cymbals splashes and stuff like that there. So I would say it definitely helped. Um, and I, I I don't know. I mean. Technique, basic technique is, is, is very similar across most genres, but um, yeah, I definitely think that having a funk kind of influence early on has, has stayed with me, uh, you know, even now. So Blake, it's interesting that you mentioned Guitar Hero because I used to criticize it quite a bit because for me, video games are about jumping into something that's uh, unrealistic. Like for example, I don't know, everyone knows I'm a Dark Souls fan, so let's just do that. I can't do that in real life, yeah. so I always <laughs> tell my friends to pick up a guitar instead of playing Guitar Hero. But when I was criticizing it, I didn't realize that it was, in essence, creating a whole new generation of guitar players. And same with rock band and stuff. It it allowed everybody to to make that music more accessible. And it was it's quite interesting to see how many people have been directly influenced by Guitar Hero or rock band now. Seriously, I uh, I mean, a lot of those songs I had heard before, and I I played mostly like Guitar Hero one, two, and three. Um, but I played some of the like rock the eighties and like world tour and stuff like that before they really started dying out. But the, those set lists and those bonus songs that you could get, like there was, there was metal gold in there, like, like really just good stuff and songs I can't even remember anymore. But a lot of the first time, like hearing about certain bands, I know like the first time I ever heard dragon force, obviously guitar hero, uh, first time I ever heard in flames, guitar hero, um, even like maybe even Slayer on Guitar Hero because I, I can't think of a lot of radio stations that were playing Slayer when I was younger. But no, I even though Guitar Hero has heavily inspired my musical journey, I never really did think about how it could have inspired so many others, which is a good point. So correct me if I'm wrong, but so Stephen, you play guitars and drums for Morning Vale, and Blake, you also play guitar and the bass. Yes. Okay. So. You both know two instruments, so was it difficult for you guys to learn a second instrument after the first? And what were some of the challenges challenges that you had to face in learning a second instrument? Um, I I I think I've also kind of said this to to Blake before. Um, but starting with drums, you know, it's a very like kind of um, you know you have well, at least with metal drums, you know, uh, the blast beat technique that I use, which is commonly known as the flying finger technique. Um, you know, incorporating a lot of finger movement and, and wrist movement and that kind of control. So I had already built up, you know, a, a good amount of, of, of that kind of, you know, muscle control um, and muscle memory. So when I did move over to guitars, um, I immediately was, you know, somewhat good at playing stuff like, like, you know, tremolo picking. Um, so, you know, when it came to like death metal or black metal and that kind of thing, you know, there's obviously lots of tremolo picking in that kind of music. So um, drumming has definitely helped me um, when first starting uh, playing guitar and um, definitely honing my abilities 
still to this day. Can you describe the flying finger technique? Because I'm not terribly familiar with techniques at all. Like I'm not an instrumentalist in the slightest. <laughs> so basically the flying finger technique um, is, it's mostly about, it, it's not so much about what you're doing, but it's, it's more so about controlling the rebound that the drum head is giving you. So I play with what would be considered somewhat heavy sticks. Um, I play with uh, Vic Firth 5B. So they're, they're pretty thick sticks. Um, so they have a lot of weight to them. And I use the extreme, uh, ver the extreme model. So they're, I believe they're like half an inch longer than your average drumstick. They're pretty much made for metal. Um, and uh, I also use a nylon tip. And I feel like that kind of combination of stick gives me a lot of rebound. So when I'm playing blast beats, it's, it's not so much about like how hard you can hit or, or how fast you can particularly play but it's about how fast can you control the rebound and then you know being able to do that to a metronome perfectly in time and that's that's really the challenge there but it's mostly finger technique and well, I'm, I'm pretty much using mostly my uh my thumb my middle finger and my ring finger to hold the stick and it's just kind of this almost twitch kind of motion um and uh you know after a while you'll be able to get it in time and, and control it that way. And it, it helps with many other like, you know, fast kind of ride symbol um, grooves and stuff like that. And, you know, single stroke rolls and it, it really helps, you know, you can apply it to pretty much any angle of drums. Didn't realize that the weight of the stick and the tip made a difference. What other types of tips are there? Uh, as far as I know, there's just like wooden and nylon, um, but there are different kinds of, uh, different shapes of, of the, the tip of the stick. So you've got like acorn, which is generally what I use. Um, you've got like circles. Um, and then, I mean, there's just kind of a lot of different variations of, of different tips. And, and some people, sometimes they produce different sounds depending on how you hit a cymbal. You know, I, I really like the nylon tip um, for two big reasons. The first one is that, again, I, I feel like it gives me a little bit more rebound. So it's a bit easier for me to, to play faster but also that uh, when I do hit a ride cymbal or a hi-hat or something like that with the tip of the stick, uh, with the material being nylon, it gives a much brighter tonality to it. And I, I personally like really bright sounding cymbals and I, I feel like it helps cut through the mix a lot better. Does the tip really change the sound much in the drum or just the cymbal? I wouldn't say it's so much on the drums, but definitely on the cymbals. And, and I remember not, not even probably a couple weeks ago, I, I tried out a pair of uh, wooden tipped sticks and I just, not a fan. <laughs> I'm definitely used to that kind of <laughs> nylon sound. Yeah, fair enough. Well, thank you for teaching me something today. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so then, Blake, did you have any challenges in learning uh, a second instrument, or was it pretty much it was it pretty easy to go from the guitar to the bass? So, yes and no to both of those. Um, if you know the guitar, you're going to know the bass. I mean, it's going to be at least familiar with you. Um, so I can honestly, like if I, I tend to write my songs on the guitar, um, but coming up with a, with a bass line uh, usually comes pretty quickly, just kind of going off of the, the rhythm and the, the chord progressions and note structure. Um, honestly, the hardest thing about bass is uh, just getting that finger endurance up. Um, every time I, I don't play bass for a while and I go back to it, um, both my fretting hand and I use a pick on bass. I know that's that's like a sin to a lot of bass players, <laughs> but uh, I, I found it much easier for me to be able to play what I want as opposed to to spending months learning how to like finger pick effectively. Um, so, but just my fretting hand and my picking hand gets so worn out. Um, I use a really heavy pick 
uh, Stephen, what were those picks called? They were like carbon fiber dragons. So something. they're called uh, dragon heart picks, and uh, yeah, they're made out of like carbon fiber. Um, I found them because I, I used to watch like Rob Scallon on YouTube, and uh, I know he used to use those at least. And uh, in one of the sessions that Blake came over and we were recording, and I showed him that pick, and he was like, "Oh, dude, I think I'm going to use that for bass," and he did. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it has a really weird shape to it. It kind of has three separate edges that you can use to pick, and each one has a different shape. So I use the really pointy edge, and it just gives me a really good attack. Um, being a, I'm a huge Tool fan, and uh, Justin Chancellor, the bass player for Tool, uh, he uses a pick on his bass, and I, I always could appreciate the tone that he achieves, even though most of the time he's using like a, like chorus effects or delay effects, stuff like that, as opposed to heavy distortion. Um but I, I kind of, I can achieve more clarity personally with a pick as opposed to the finger picking, even though it, that is something that I would like to learn someday. I'm just looking at the images here of the Dragonheart picks. They're pretty cool shape. Do you use the sharp edge to, yes. um, on the strings or do you, can you use both? Um, I like, I've tried using kind of both edges or what is it? It has like a sharp edge and a, and a really curved edge and then like a kind of curved edge. Um, I use the really sharp one just because um, I prefer big picks. So I like surface area and uh, pointy tips to really like dig in there. Okay. And then when did you start to get seriously into metal vocals? Um, I, I started practicing um, when I was in high school, probably around the time that uh, I got super, super into Slipknot. I had always known who Slipknot was growing up, but um, a couple years before the grade chapter came out, which was that album came out in 2014. So it probably would have been like 2012, 2013. I started getting super into Slipknot and that was kind of my first attempt at trying metal vocals. And uh, <laughs> every time I would try, I would like hurt my voice and end up getting a sinus infection. <laughs> nice. Um, but, but the more I did it, the more I did it, the better I started to sound. And I felt like it was like the the less sick I would get from doing it. <laughs> but I just, I seemed to notice a sinus infection would follow whenever I was screaming a little too much. Um, so about, I guess, four years ago, um, I took a vocal lesson with Ian Bearer from Rings of Saturn, if you're familiar with them. Yep. Uh, and and he he gave me some, some uh, breathing techniques, tonal techniques, um, and just a couple things to help me kind of shape my sound. And I took that one lesson with him, and ever since then, I've kind of used what he's taught me and uh, applied it to my own style. Well, and obviously you've benefited from that because your vocals sound great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, I have uh, I have some recordings on YouTube from my first band uh, with my buddy in high school, and that is my first recorded vocals. Um, and it, it's kind of crazy to see the progress I've made because it seems like every time I, I go in to record, I... I find myself getting better and better, which is a good thing to see. And it's always satisfying being able to look at where you started and then where you are now. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And just in so many different uh, ways as well, like more than vocals, but but mixing and, and playing technique and, and all that. Did you guys mix and master your own record then? Uh, I mixed it, but we sent it off to someone that Steven knew for mastering. Okay. Being from different states, how did you guys both meet? And then how did the concept of Morning Veil begin? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, so the, the how we met, um, I was, I think it was just like a Sunday afternoon or something like that. And then I was, I just happened to be 
listening uh, to metal albums on YouTube, um, which I don't know why I did that because I usually just use Spotify, but I don't know. I, I just, at the time, I guess I just felt like listening on YouTube. And I, I had it on autoplay. And um, so I was just kind of listening to different singles and whatever, just letting YouTube kind of do its thing. And uh, one of the recommended albums that I saw um, was uh, Blake's uh, album that he did um, called The Stag, which is uh, from his solo project, uh, Ophidian Memory. And uh, and I, I heard it and I was just really kind of blown away by, you know, I thought it was, you know, like a, a it sounded very professional and, and all the songs were very well put together and well written. And uh, I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about Ophidian Memory. Um, so I went on, I found him on Spotify and uh, and on Spotify, you know, bands can write a short little you know, bio of their music or their band. Uh, and I saw that it was a solo project. Um, and he had written that he was looking for other musicians to collaborate with. So I kind of thought, oh, that'd be pretty cool. but. You know, I don't know where he's at. Well, <laughs> it just so happens that in that same paragraph, he mentioned that he was from uh, Iowa and, you know, only two hours away from me. So immediately I just thought like, okay, I, I definitely have to hit this guy up <laughs> because he's, he's so close and it'd be a chance to possibly meet in person and, and, you know, do some live shows and stuff like that. So um, he got back to me that same day and, and that's, that's, that's how we met. Yeah. And we, uh, he reached out to me and I like, pretty sure i responded immediately uh because he he kind of finished up his like greeting with would you be will would you be interested in in uh, doing a project together and i was like heck yeah heck yeah i was just <laughs> i was looking for someone close by you know who just, who wanted to work on similar music and uh, and i don't know which one of us asked but we were like what what kind of subgenre were you looking for for this project to be and and i think i said like black and death metal and he was like dude me too <laughs> what's your <laughs> what's your kind of like what's the album that you kind of want to use as like a like a template for what we want to be or something and we both said puritanical euphoric misanthropia by dimu borgir mm -hmm. that was like both one of our favorite albums so Absolutely. as soon as he said that uh i was like okay this guy <laughs> this is the dude we're gonna do this <laughs> And, and not even like literally the next day he got back to me with the like demo version of Doctrine of the Blind. That's really quick, especially right after meeting. <laughs> I think we were both just super excited. Yeah, it's, it's not often, you know, because I'm, you know, in living in Nebraska, there's there's really not that many metalheads around here. Um, so, I mean, I just felt so much motivation to, to really get some, some music and work with this guy that I had just met. And, you know, the fact that we had such you know, closely similar uh, styles and influences. And, you know, I had already listened to his, his solo stuff, which was incredible. Um, and it just, it was very inspiring and motivating. And you guys released your first album just last year. So were the band formed throughout COVID? No. Uh, well, I, it, technically it was, uh, he reached out to me like two days after I released the stag. So it would have been the last weekend of May of just last year. Oh shit! You guys work really quick. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> then, had, oh, I didn't realize the SAG was released just last year. Yeah, I would have put that in the intro too. Sorry. No, no, that's that's all <laughs> that's good. good. That's all good. Um, I I was joking with Stephen. The day that I finished uh, recording vocals for Morning Vale was exactly five months from the day that he messaged me. So within five months, we had met each other, decided to start a band, and had fully written and recorded an album. 
that seems like so much faster than what people be used to be able to do, especially with like distribution, getting involved with the label, all that kind of stuff. And it seems like, I mean, working on two albums is crazy just to begin with, but five months to pretty much put together an album is insane. We, uh, we knew it was, we, we even wanted it to be out sooner. I think we initially were like, yeah, but October would be an awesome release date, but I think we joked it, about it, Halloween or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but December <laughs> ended up. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. December ended up working out. Um, and, and we were really contemplating, uh, submitting it to labels just to see what we could pick up. Um, but we ultimately decided, Hey, like as our first one, let's just, let's give it all we got and, and see what the reaction is like. Um, cause doing stuff independent, you get a little more say, uh, and when you release and, and when you want to do stuff, it's more on your own time. So we just thought that that would be the route for now. And, and that we'll see kind of where we go in the future. So Blake, you have both bands here and you guys are both relatively new to the metal scene. So what are some of the benefits and what are some of the challenges about entering the game at this time? So I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Steven. I was just going to say, you know, there's, there's, there's already so much metal out there and there's, there's so many, uh, you know, new metal bands being formed all the time and, and just, you know, and, and with, with modern recording technology, you know, I mean, we were able to do everything, you know, just within our own homes. We didn't have to go to a studio or anything. Um, and with that kind of, you know, equipment and technology being available to everyone, it's just, you know, it's really grown the scene so much, um, which is kind of a good and a bad thing at the same time. It's good in that you get a lot of awesome metal coming out nowadays from, you know, people who may not be able to put out an album um, and, you know, great solo projects and things like that. Obviously, Ophidian Memory being one of those. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, there's there's so much metal out there that it's, it's kind of hard to uh, to really, you know, break out there and 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 be original. Um, and there and it's it's also difficult to to be heard, you know, with such a huge ocean of of music out there. Um, but you know, I, personally, like for me, it's just kind of a, it's a fun thing to do, and I, I'm not really, you know, particularly paying attention to uh, to what certain people may want to hear. I'm more interested in just kind of like writing something that I'm happy with and that, you know, Blake and I can be happy with, um, you know, and if, if people dig it, that's awesome. And um, so pretty much, you know, just kind of doing our own thing and, and seeing how that goes, how that goes. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I agree with Steven. It's a, it's a double-edged sword um, because I've done everything it just from my home. Uh, and I know like back in the day, I can't imagine how much a recording studio would have cost, you know, to hire an engineer and, and just spend those days and days in the studio working when we can just do it all from a bedroom and, and get pretty close results. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit around and say that I'm like a master engineer or like mixer or master. I don't even know how to master properly. I can just mix decently well, but, um, I think the hardest part about getting into the scene nowadays is is really getting those live shows um, because the saturation is everywhere online and uh, and you can do you can do tons of stuff to even get your name out there and we did that our video on on the circle pit and I think that actually got us a lot of traction because we had we had a decent amount of people kind of reach out to us from all around the world um, letting us know how much they enjoyed it and that was really awesome to see. So I, I love that, that you can reach literally across the world to someone who's never heard you before. Um, but I think, I think getting those live shows and kind of 
um, entrenching yourself in that scene and letting people know that that you're like a a force to be reckoned with as far as just like putting on a show and and going on the road and and giving people those live experiences that they crave. Um, I think that's our next step that we really want to push for. Well, and then you had the combination of like already being in a saturated market, but then you had COVID, which drove people home, which I think was one of the catalysts for all this musical and obviously other creativity as well. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. I, I, the thought of Ophidian Memory and the solo project, that was all um, created and, and I was in the process of creation uh, like back in 2018, 2019, but it wasn't even until a full year after COVID that I finally had the resources and the time to to be home and and record my first EP. So there's some definite truth to that. One of the things that stood out for me, at least to, about Morningville, was that you guys tend to have a minimalist approach uh, promoting your music on social media so far. The question here is, what is your opinion on the integration of social media regarding the promotion of music, and do you think it's necessary? In terms of, like, metal and, and whatnot, like, you know, kind of with our our previous, uh, you know, what we were just talking about, um, how there's just so much out there, I feel like social media is, is such a such a powerful tool, um, especially in the, in the, in the metal world. Um, and, uh, we may not, I, I mean, we did actually have some plans to do, you know, some other things, maybe some more teasers and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if it, if it came down to, we just ran out of time or we just, we, you know, got a little busy or something like that, but, um, we definitely had talked about it. And, uh, but I do somewhat wish that we would have maybe done a little bit more in terms of social media presence. Um, but, you know, we, we are just getting started here pretty much. And uh, I know that, you know, we're going to handle it probably a little bit differently in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I agree with Stephen on that one. Um, we're both like swamped on the weekdays a lot of the times with our jobs and stuff. And and we did go back and forth. We were trying to do some guitar playthroughs and drum playthroughs and and uh, and, and the time just passed so quickly. Uh, not like not like there's never a time that we couldn't eventually do them, but you know, the, sorry, the, the sooner or closer to a release date, uh, the better and more effective that kind of push for marketing is going to be. What made you choose Morningville as the band's name and how do you hope the band title reflects your subject matter and lyrical content? So I, we kind of went back and forth on band names. Um, I came up with a list and Steven came up with a list and, and we kind of narrowed them down to a few. And I, I think we just kind of both agreed that morning Vale kind of sounded cool <laughs> um, and a little bit mysterious. And, and in that sense, I think the, the band name comes through and shines like for the lyrical content. Um, Steven came up, our first song was uh, doctrine of the blind, which uh, Steven wrote. And so I didn't, I didn't really, that was before we even came up with a band name. Um, and so I kind of went with the theme of Doctrine of the Blind, just kind of looking at the world today and how a lot of people can be quick, quick to judge, quick to make assumptions, um, quick to believe in what they want to believe in without thinking a little bit harder. Um, so I, I kind of took that theme and translated it into the rest of the songs. And to me, Morning Veil those words mean um, y- y- exactly what they are, you know, like kind of a veil that is put over the world 
um, that just that causes sadness. You know, you, you look around the world and you see horrible things happening every day. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a little it's a little bitter and it's a little dark, but I, that's kind of what metal's all about. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very black metal feel to it for sure. Oh, yeah. I did notice that you actually mentioned a Morningdale in the song Days to Dread. Was that, uh, was that <laughs> conscious or was that just something that uh, came up? Oh, definitely conscious. Okay. Um, that, so Days to Dread actually was pot a potential band name. Um, okay. and, and I liked that one so much that I decided to use it for that song name. And, uh, and we were both like, yeah, we want to have a, a, at least a 15 minute epic banger. And so I was like, you know what, I'll, I'm going to say the band name and that song because it just it fit so well. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I think we both agree that Days to Dread is our favorite song. Yeah, I definitely. And it was a really cool approach. I, I And Days to Dread has the same like black metal feel to it, I think. Yeah, definitely in certain spots. Uh, but there's a there's a lot of parts in that song where it almost uh, kind of shows a new side of us, like um, certain verse riffs uh, that I wrote and then kind of like the the bridge riffs that steven wrote i feel like my riffs have a have some groove to them that uh usually is not there in black metal and then kind of in that middle section steven just goes like just like slamming riffs just like all over the place doing uh slides and hammer-ons and whatnot so musically is that gonna kind of be a focus moving forward i would i would probably say most probably somewhat um I know that we definitely want to stick around kind of the, the black and death metal sound. Um, and, and I think, you know, with Blake and I have you know, obviously been talking about the album and its reception and whatnot. And, and looking back on it, uh, it almost became mo almost more of a, like a progressive melodic kind of death metal <laughs> yeah. uh, with, with a lot of like blackened elements in there. And, um, you know, like he mentioned before, Dimma Borger was a big influence, but also for me personally in the songs that I wrote, um, you know, In Flames is, is one of my favorites. And I, I use, you know, I have a lot of kind of melodic uh, influences from, I, I'm really big into like melodic death metal and, and that kind of sound. Um, so kind of encompassing everything together, especially with, with a song like Days to Dread where it's 16 minutes and, you know, we kind of had like a, a roller coaster vibe almost going on um throughout the whole song and it, and it really does kind of showcase everything that we're capable of as as a band we are both very melodic songwriters which is like the main thing i've taken away from us working together so at, while we both went in saying that we wanted a black and death metal thing steven hit it right on the nose when he said we're more of like a progressive melodic death metal with blackened elements um and i i think for our our next record we're going to try and tap into that that black metal element a little more and see what we can evoke from that while also retaining our melody in in our like acoustic segments it seems like there's a lot of different aspects to your music and one of the things that confused me is when i listened to it it was completely different than what i had envisioned when i saw the album cover because when i looked at it originally i instantly thought tech death and i think that's partly because of your logo uh it's done very well and it, it's kind of cool because it looks like there's fangs on the outside almost but then you can see some circuitry in the image itself who came up with that concept and how many logos did you go through before choosing that one? Oh gosh, let me uh let me find the guy that I talked to here. I can't think of his name like right off the bat. Um he is he is on Instagram. I came through him uh from literally just uh I think on the Instagram Explore page. Um but here on his page his name is Try Waluya. 
um and he does he does uh logos for tons and tons of bands um i reached out to him and i was like hey man i i love the work that you do and and uh, i got a new band here we're kind of black and death metal um and then i just took a couple of his uh posts that he had done in the past and was like hey we're kind of looking for something like this and he combined them all together and honestly the first draft he sent us both of us were like yep that's the one i'm just looking through his instagram page right now there's a lot of good logos there oh yeah no he's great he does everything from like clean and readable stuff to uh <laughs> like full-on like you can't see a dang word he put in there like, a chair you know yeah <laughs> like he does an insane job and his his rates are very affordable so i would recommend anybody who needs a metal logo to go with him yeah fantastic how have i never heard of this guy before he's got some insane shit on here i love it yeah <laughs> yeah no truly and all of his bands are are kind of underground um and he he has such a cool style because he'll really do you know like we on our album specifically we used our clean version but if you watch like our YouTube video on the Circle Pit, you'll notice our uh, dirty one is in there with all the drips and the kind of like webby effect in between the letters and whatnot. So he, he even gave us both versions of a of a logo, which we which we like to use uh, when we see fit. Oh yeah, yeah. You did use a, it. It looks almost completely different. Like, it, yeah, that's crazy. I'm looking just at the metal archives here, and I see your album cover, and then I look back at your the logo that's on your main page it's completely different mm -hmm. yeah we we wanted to use that clean one for the album cover because it's much more readable but we love how grimy that like really detailed one is yeah they're they're both awesome i love it i've been getting more and more into logos even the ones that you can't read i used to i used to kind of be against that but now it's just it's like a it's almost like a brand like they're recognizable you don't have to read them yeah yeah, yeah that's no, a really good point yeah, definitely I mean, like when I see a band t-shirt or something at a show or like, you know, whatever, I, I may not even know what the band is, but I, I recognize the logo from its, from, you know, from a stylistic point of view. And, and I, I definitely agree with that. It's not even about reading it. It's just kind of about how it's portrayed. You know what I mean? Totally. Then you guys also worked with another heavy hitter for your album cover. So Adam Burke, he's done a shit ton of album covers. What made you seek him out? And was he able to produce exactly what you guys were looking for? Um, so I think I, uh, I told Steven, did you know about Adam prior? No, you introduced me to him actually. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I, I re when we kind of, that the topic of album art came up, um, album art is very, very important to me. Um, especially with Ophidian memory where I do kind of like the, the fantasy storytelling aspect in my music. Um, I go through Kalen Stokerman's and he, uh, commissions pieces for me based off of my lyrics and whatnot to kind of to paint a picture to fit my story. Whereas Adam, um, I just, I had a link to his licensable works that he had. And this one just happened to be available. And um, I really, I just, I loved the image and I felt like I could make our lyrical content kind of fit with what the image portrayed. That's a great album cover. Yeah, it's actually his uh, Instagram profile picture right now. Yeah, it's like one of his oh, favorites nice. that he's done or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And I would love to stick with him if possible. I, I think he's just like, he does phenomenal work. You know, he's oh, yeah. like top tier, like one of the best in, in metal art right now. Definitely agree with that. And he has a very distinct style. Like you can look at album covers and be like, that's that's immediately. For sure. Yep. 
Oh, I, uh, there's so many of his works in my like favorite albums of the year. And I, I can immediately tell when I see something done by him. Outside of Morningvale, you guys both belong to other bands. So Blake, as we've chatted, you're the sole member of Ophidian Memory. Did I say that correctly? Yes. And then Steven, you're also a member of Archetype of Destruction. So regarding the differences between musical styles, do you prefer to play one genre over the other? And why or why not? Um, I would probably say... So Archetype of Destruction is more of like a... Uh, just, you know, kind of trying to be as heavy as possible. <laughs> um, and it, it's more in like the brutal almost slam kind of category of metal. Um, but with with um, Morning Veil, I, I feel a lot more open in what I can write. Um, you know, like we've said before, you know, we were kind of aiming for a black and death metal sound and then we got what you hear in Communion, which is, you know, just a whole bunch of different kinds of subgenres thrown in together. Um, and I, I, I never really feel like I'm, um, I'm, not able to write something that I want to because, you know, it's just a very open band and, and the writing process. I just, you know, I don't feel like I can't do something, you know, because it's just such an open, open sound that we have. Um, so I, I would probably say that it's, it's, it's just very fun writing for, uh, for Morningville. To me, my uh, approach to writing for Ophidian Memory and Morningville are, um, relatively similar in a sense um when i initially came up with the idea of morning veil i wanted it to be a black metal solo project and obviously that <laughs> isn't what it is um it, it's much more it, uh, people have classified me as melodic death metal and i would say that that's a pretty good just kind of base um label to put on me but i also i have a lot of thrash influences i have a lot of black metal influences and even some like of my early metalcore influences in my music um i like to throw in some clean singing uh the acoustic guitars the effect guitars but you know i i love me some fast double bass and blast beats as well and i think with morning veil um i try and hone a little bit more of that uh blackened edge just so that I don't feel like I'm writing something that could be for Ophidian Memory. Um, and it also helps that we're uh, really focusing on Morning Veil to, to stay on like seven string and eight string guitars, whereas I stay on six string for Ophidian Memory, which kind of helps me get in that mindset of that specific project when I pick up that instrument. So then in a way, both of you are purposefully going down different creative routes for each of your groups. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, that kind of satiates all of our needs and wants for music because most metalheads aren't just like stuck in one type of genre. Um, and Steven is even in kind of like more projects than just that, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in a few other ones that uh, haven't released anything yet, but, you know, getting there. <laughs> awesome. Well, and I just realized now, Steven, that uh, Archetype of Destruction ju uh, released your first EP, just five days after Morning Veil Communion came out. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. It, it's, it's, that's actually kind of funny because um, the with Archetype of Destruction, there was a lot of uh, kind of waiting around. Um, uh, while we were... So the, instrument, the instruments had been recorded for, oh my, I mean, maybe a year and a half before, before it was released. Um, and uh, we had issues with vocalists and um, we lost our first vocalists. Um, just due to some issues um 
and uh, you know we struggled to kind of find a new vocalist. And when we found him, you know, he had to you know rework everything and and you know write his own lyrics and stuff like that. So it, it just kind of took a while, but it, it is kind of funny how 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 close the two releases were. So that wasn't done on purpose. Then it was kind of partly by chance. Yeah, it just it just kind of happened to work that way. Where you know, archetype of destruction was was a very kind of slow process. Meanwhile, Morning Veil. Vale, I mean, we just went we went crazy on that. <laughs> yeah, it was like mock speed. We were, and and I don't want to say that we were like rushing it, but we definitely kept ourselves to a deadline because I, just being so far away from each other, it's super easy to be like, oh, if we don't meet up this weekend, we'll do it next weekend, and then next weekend doesn't work out, and then the next weekend, you know, that that just the time can fly by so quick. So we really wanted to just stay on schedule and, and hold ourselves to a, to a late 22, 2022 release. Well, and it's all about prioritization, right? Like if you already know that this is what you need to do by this time, it's easier to buckle down, get it done and then work on the next thing. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Cause I, uh, like Steven knew like right off the bat, I, like I still, I'm still doing Ophidian memory stuff. So work like I'm kind of flip flopping between the two and like keeping myself on track um, is helping me get back to Morning Vale sooner. And like, I would, I don't want to make any promises, but we'll, I would say like 90% chance we'll have another album this year. Yeah. So we touched on earlier that there weren't too many metalheads in Nebraska, but with Ophidian Memory, you're in Iowa and that is, like you said, the home of Slipknot. So what made you go the solo route, Blake, for Ophidian Memory? Um... When I was in college, I was in a cover band, and uh, I loved I loved the experience of being in a in a band. You know that that we would actually play shows on the weekend, get a little money for it. Um, but the covers that I was playing wasn't what I truly wanted to do. Uh, we kind of got pigeonholed as like the Volbeat cover band, and uh, I mean I liked a few Volbeat songs when I was ten, but uh, they're not really my cup of tea anymore. Um, it, we we played a lot of Green Day. Um, I did enjoy playing uh, some of the Black Sabbath songs in Metallica and, and a little bit of Bullet for my Valentine uh, every once in a while. But for the most part, we weren't we really just like kind of weren't nailing what I wanted to play. And uh, just over those four years I spent in college in that band. And then, of course, I guess COVID hit halfway through my third year and then uh, we stopped playing shows. But my drummer and I were writing original music and uh, and, it, and it was more, I guess you could call it kind of radio oriented uh metalcore metalcore in a sense but uh but something that could be played on the radio just because kind of we were we were wanting to attract that uh local uh waterloo audience that was familiar with us and uh and it just it, it didn't work out so after i graduated well i guess it wasn't even after i graduated i i still uh was on that solo route in college and and it, it truly was COVID, you know, where we weren't practicing anymore. We weren't playing shows and I still had that musical itch. And I was, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to buckle down and, and try this solo thing. And um, the EP was, was a true test to see if I could do it or see what I could do in general. Um, and, it, and it was a little bit of a struggle, but I think in the end, I learned so much from it that um, the making of the stag was, was, even easier than the EP. So it was almost born out of necessity for you then. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a good way to put it. Um, I never really looked at that, looked at it that way. But yes, I mean, I, I was kind of in that void of of having no, no live shows, no band practice. Yet I had these original songs I had written that were just sitting in a, in a Garage Band folder, 
you know, before I was uh, familiar with certain DAWs and, and recording processes, I just did everything through a direct input into GarageBand. Um, but after I got more resources, you know, a, a nice amp for recording, microphones, the, the setup, um, I just I gave it a shot and uh, and it paid off. Are you planning on expanding to incorporate more members or just keeping Ovidian memory yours? Um, I would, I would love to get members to play a live show someday. Like I, I want to play those songs live so badly. Um, however, the fact that I have like a whole kind of fantasy, like dark fantasy, uh, sci-fi esque universe that I have written for my story. I feel like my, <laughs> the deep corners of my mind can only be accessed by me. And I, and I feel like almost if I brought other members into song, right. Um, it, it would end up going in a different direction than I personally want it to. Um, but that being said, if people were okay with joining the band to be live members and not have, I guess, input or a whole lot of input, um, that is something I would be available to do. It sounds like you don't really want to be in control of a group. Like it seems like you would want the input from everybody though. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I, the thing we're doing with Morningvale here is awesome. Like I love having Steven as a, not only a drummer, but as another guitar player, you know, like who can co-write with me and we can bounce ideas off of each other. Like that's what I love. And and we have another guitar player who's joining us um, and he's not doing a whole lot of writing, but he, he likes to add his own touches at the end and and like give us give us his own input. So I love that aspect of Morning Vale. Whereas for my solo project, it almost is easier for me to just kind of take it on my own and and turn it into exactly what I'm looking for. Do either of you ever feel creatively limited by having only two members? And uh, of course, Blake, same question for you, but with Ophidian memory and just a sing singular member. Doesn't sound like it from what you've already said. Well, at least at least for like Morning Vale, um, it's it's such like I said before, it's, kind of, it's such a, like an open concept, you know. And 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 both of us are are I would say pretty similar in, in how we write, but we obviously have our own flavors and styles that we like to throw in there um and it's it's honestly very nice to work with somebody um who is you know at a very similar level and 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 has i would say like songwriting in itself is is an ability you know just because you can maybe play guitar doesn't mean you can necessarily write a coherent song you know and it's something that you really have to work on and being able to work with somebody like blake who has that experience and that knowledge and is really good at it it's just kind of it's very refreshing you know um working with somebody that's that's you know very competent in that in that field as well and and just you know i i definitely don't ever really feel limited in in writing for morning Vale. yeah i would agree with that um i feel like with with morning Vale, you know we have our our black and death idea that we want to stick to but like steven said it's kind of an open book for as as far as where we want to go with that um, and I think we, both of us bring a multitude of different influences in, and then we mix and mash them together to make something original. Um, kind of the same with Ophidian Memory. I, uh, I, I never really feel, uh, I forget what was the word that you used, like creatively, like worn out or like empty, like, like you can't write anything or can't think of any new ideas. 
Um, I never really feel that way because I'm always trying to come up with something new for Ophidian Memory. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time Ophidian Memory is done, it's like a like a prog math band or something. But <laughs> but I I just I like reaching the the softest of softs to the the heaviest of what is heavy. I always like being able to push those boundaries and and mixing the two to find something new. Yeah, fair enough. Like you guys both seem like very creative people. Whereas for me, I like to work with a team of multiple people because I have more ideas to bounce off of. But if you already have that that cre- those creative ideas, then it shouldn't be an issue. It, it's it is really nice um, being able to work with other people and uh, and and bounce your ideas off. Because generally, how we go about writing is is what we'll kind of you know. So like like. Uh, when, when Morning Bale first started, you know, the first song that was really brought to the table was Doctor No the Blind. And so I wrote that and I sent it to Blake and, and he, you know, made some suggestions, made a few changes here and there. So, you know, and it's really, you know, things that I would have never have thought of to do. But, you know, the song benefits so greatly from from Blake's additions, you know, and, and that's how we pretty much went about writing the entire album is. So we both wrote two songs. Um, and then we would send them to each other, kind of get feedback on them, rework them a little bit until we were both happy with them. And then with, with Days to Dread, it was really like a, we kind of went back and forth on, on writing sections, you know, um, whereas I, I mean, like the first half was Blake, the second half I wrote, and then kind of a, uh, a combination of both of us for the ending bits. And it was just kind of this process where um, you get to write something on your own, but then also have an additional person to bounce the ideas off of and, and get new ideas that, that you may never have thought to do. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously you guys work very well together, but then there's the other side of the equation, whereas if you have too many people, sometimes it could be harder to come to a decision or make something that you all enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think what I've loved about working with Steven is that we are on such a, like same wavelength about everything. It's like everything I bring up, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And everything that he says, I'm like, oh, yeah, I couldn't have like said it or thought it better myself. Um, and I and I think the fact that we work really well together and that uh, that our guitar player that that's kind of joining us right now doesn't um, have want or like doesn't want to do as much input on the writing side, but more so just kind of like the finishing aspects of like adding his his final touches to it. Um, that that just seems to work really well. And, and just, like I said, again, in those five months, like we were able to write a whole album and record it. Whereas, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing stuff on my own, it can take me a couple months to, to just come up with writing songs since I'm doing it all on myself, all on my own. So just having that extra person um, who's on the same page, like, I mean, it, it's like there's two of you doing the same thing. Well, yeah, and like you guys mentioned earlier, like, you stuck to it because you you realized that if you kept putting it off, it would take far too long for anything to happen. Yep. You also mentioned earlier that uh, Morningville, you wanted to play some live shows coming up. Do you have any of those planned or are you still waiting for other musicians? Uh, we are still in the process of kind of working out our live set. Um, okay. And and we need a, we need a solid place for rehearsals. Um, we don't quite have that capability yet, but once we do have a, a good set, place for rehearsals where we can you know have a have a drum set and and be loud without like worrying about neighbors or anything um i think that's when we'll be able to to start getting some shows planned you guys often practice remotely um i mean just as far as like we i i practice like playing our own songs but 
together no we do not practice remotely i think we've had one single uh like jam session <laughs> um he so you know blake would make the trip down to uh down to me um and uh you know we would spend a you know, like an entire weekend recording and whatnot and, and one of the weekends we uh happened to go to where my kit is which is in my parents basement they're kind enough to allow me to keep my acoustic kit there and uh you know we kind of jammed through a bit of the songs um and uh that pretty much that's pretty much the extent of of rehearsals that we've ever done together <laughs> yeah <laughs> sadly even though we'd like to do to do some more it's just kind of hard to find that space where we can have everything yeah you guys talked about your tastes and stuff like that a little bit earlier so currently who are some of your favorite bands or genres <laughs> i'm actually um i i i kind of stick to mostly death metal but in kind of i guess a guilty pleasure of mine is is mostly gent i listen to a lot of gent um so for me personally like periphery and after the burial are probably tied for a number one band for me personally but you know i also love stuff like uh job for a cowboy uh preferably their more techie kind of side like sun eater i think that's just an incredible album um obviously you know in flames like i said is a huge influence on 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 me personally in a, in a melodic sense um you know death clock as well has been a huge influence for me um so kind of that more melodic style but also that you know heavier stuff and, and i also like slam you know stuff like where it's just you know really kind of just balls to the walls heavy 24 7 <laughs> not really any uh any solid like song structure it's just mostly about just kind of you know slapping you over the face with with you know chunky riffs <laughs> um as for me, I guess I'll just kind of go down my list of, of some of my favorite bands at the moment. Um, I'd have to really put Revocation out in front. I, I think Dave Davidson is like a guitar god who can do no wrong. Like the guy is just, he's like Chuck Schuldiner reincarnate. I, I don't have like anything better to say about him. Um, but uh, Revocation's up there. Um, I love Black Crown Initiate even though uh, Andy Thomas uh, left them this year or last year to become full-time member of Rivers of Nile. I love Rivers of Nile too. So that was a, that was a decent trade-off. Um, Shadow of Intent. I was a huge, I'm a huge Halo fan. So I got into Shadow of Intent back when they were still making Halo themed music. And they were honestly like my first deathcore band I got into. So I, I kind of owe it to them for my interest in deathcore. Um, Fallujah again Scott Carstairs he's another guitar god who can do no wrong with his riffs and leads um, Wake and Half are a couple of more uh, lesser known bands that are that are super brutal and uh, can kind of mix a really good like black and death metal sound together um, as well as uh, Warforged um, they're a Chicago band I, I absolutely love them uh, they're, they're kind of just coming up out of nowhere making really original stuff and then uh, the last couple two I got here are Interloper, uh, which is uh, Miles Dimitri Baker and uh, Andrew Berueta, I believe his name is. Uh, I take guitar lessons from Miles. He used to play in Rings of Saturn. Um, he toured with Ingested last year. He's he's filled in for for a few different bands, but um, I love their band. They're kind of like progressive metal. They go everywhere from like doing the death metal to to clean screams, um, or the clean screams, clean singing. Um, but then uh, pro probably like my favorite new band I found last year is Black Braid. Um, Native American black metal. I, I have no, I have nothing more to say. It's, it's phenomenal. Like I, I could listen to that album every day. It just, 
that I feel like his songwriting and uh, his melodies and emotion, they, they, they remind me a lot of the, the way that I write songs, except he is able to incorporate, um, like, I think he has a pan flute in a couple songs. It just is like bone chilling. Um, and his melodies are, are so good. I, I have, like, I can't say enough good things about Black Braid, and I'm so excited for that new album this year. Oh yeah, he is coming out with something new this year, hey? Yeah, yeah. He uh, he just posted a picture on Instagram yesterday of the uh, the guy who does his album art, and uh, I think they're finishing that up. That was Adrian Baxter, I think. Yes, if I'm right. I had uh, yes. Skagasawa there. I had him on the podcast episode forty-seven, and to this day, I believe he's still or that episode is still my second most popular. Let me just check. Uh, Heck yeah, man! He deserves all the love and recognition. Like I, I can't think of a more like just out of the box unexpected black metal album that i've ever heard so inventive yet like sticking to what makes black metal like so true to itself so let's see going through the stats yeah so my first most popular episode was with pierre remillard and martin gagne of oblivion and then his is right underneath which i didn't expect because he's brand new but he blew so many people away it was incredible yeah, no, he made a ton of, of lists this year for for being the best, and he was my number two, so. Well, and what's crazy is that's another solo project. Yeah. Like you yeah. mentioned solo projects earlier, and there's some incredible solo metal. And when I first got into metal, it's like solo projects were kind of frowned upon because all the ones that I heard at that time were fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I think technology has gone a long way. Um, and I, I think he programs his drums on Black Braid. I believe. I believe so. Um, but I know he got some live members and they're doing shows this year and that is going to be phenomenal. I, I, I already know they're going to just blow it away and kind of, I feel like they're going to take the metal scene by storm. I'm definitely excited to see what they come out with next. Oh yeah, it, I, it can only be good. People are looking to find your music. Where is the best place for them to find it for you guys? Um, I don't, I guess as you've stated, uh, neither of us do a whole lot of social media, but um, I always post about stuff on my Instagram. That's kind of like my main one, uh, either at Ophidian Memory on Instagram or on my personal page, Blake Lamore 27 Awesome. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It was awesome to chat with you, and I look forward to hearing some new music. Yeah, thank you for, so much for having us, man. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was an awesome opportunity, and we uh, we really appreciate your your interest in us. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.